0: Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to t- today's webinar in the Kinexis Continuous Improvement Webinar Series. Um, I'm Mark Raven. I'm going to be your host and moderator today for uh, a presentation titled Becoming the Change, Leadership Behavior Strategies for Continuous Improvement in Healthcare. And I'm really excited that we're joined um, by Kim Barnes. She is the CEO of Catalysis, and we're also joined by John Toussaint, who is uh, the chairman of that organization. You can learn more about catalysis at createvalue.org. So I want to introduce um, Kim and John. Um, So prior to her role at Catalysis, Kim served as a senior vice president uh, for a health system where she had the opportunity uh, to lead and and to learn about lean and implementing that work in hospital operations. Um, She started in that path back in 2003 with value stream mapping and improvement events and projects. She led initial value streams for OB and cancer services, and in 2014, she authored a book called Beyond Heroes, a Lean Management System for Healthcare, based on this journey, and Kim has a, a Master's of Science degree in healthcare administration. And we're also joined by Dr. John Toussaint. He's an internist. He's a former healthcare CEO, and is one of the foremost figures um, globally, I would add, in the adoption of organizational excellence principles in healthcare. He founded Catalysis, which is a nonprofit education institute, in two thousand and eight. And Catalysis has launched peer-to-peer learning networks. They develop and deliver in-depth workshops and many products, including books, DVDs, and webinars. And John has written three books, all of which have received the prestigious Shingo Research and Publication Award. They are "On the Mend," "Potent Medicine," and "Management on the Mend." So um, I'll hand it over to the two of you. That that sets up no pressure at all for the new book that's coming out, of course, but uh, I'm sure this is gonna be well-received and thank you for what you're gonna share today.
1: Well, thank you, Mark. Um, We're excited to be able to share some of the thinking we have in our new book and it's always a great opportunity to do that with you and your organization. So today we're gonna talk about um, the book, but specifically we're gonna focus on the personal transformation that a lean leader needs to go through. to really sustain long-term transformation. So um, it's been interesting for us as we've written this book to codify our thinking and for John and I to do it together and, and learn from each other. But one of the things that became pretty clear in the, in the beginning is that we have um, used a lot of really significant thinking, lean tools, lean management, putting together systems together, um, using the shingle model to think about behaviors but when we really stopped and stepped back and looked at what was happening after these many years of our work, we recognized that without a leadership change, a personal leadership change, sustainment is not occurring. And so we, um, we learned about this by talking to hundreds of leaders. You know, we've been working around the world for many years. We've been coaching in Europe, in, in the U.S., Canada, Canada. Uh, Brazil, South Africa, and the, the problem seems to be universal. And the problem begins with the challenge for us as an executive is to move from knowing conceptually to practicing personally. So when we actually talk today about um, the personal A3 and the, um, the executive Uh, assessment, we're talking about a deeply personal change for the transformation, leading the way by changing yourself first um, as you expect others to change their behavior. So this personal transformation really involves identifying uh, strengths and opportunities um, different than we've seen in the the past. And so we're going to talk about this in two different levels. We're going to talk about um, this assessment tool, which I'm going to focus on, and then John going to talk more deeply about how we use this assessment in the uh, Personal A3. When we talk about the Personal A3, I can't help but stop and say thank you to Margie Hagney, who is the groundbreaker on this Personal A3, developed these materials, has been teaching and sharing them with us for years. And with Carl Hoover, who joined John to actually develop this assessment, Uh, And and finally, thanking the Shingo Institute for their great work um, that we have built upon. So today, um, I'm going to talk specifically about this leadership self-assessment. And again, this is a personal self-assessment that we start all of our engagements for executive coaching with um, and we also teach it in our CEO forum. So we, we've done hundreds of these and we know uh, that this tool is, is one of the best tools we have found to help people think about where their strengths and opportunities exist and then to actually create observable behaviors um, to make those changes. So this is set up in a unique way. If you see um, at the top, you've got willingness and then you have humility, curiosity, perseverance and self-discipline. These are traits or dimensions that we really think are important in terms of your willingness to have a a sincere talk with yourself about how am I doing in these areas. The the purple um, behaviors beneath them are really the behaviors that we can observe and that we can help coach to that support this. So I'm gonna walk through the dimensions and then the reinforcing behaviors um, so that you understand more deeply what they are. When you're using this tool, which, by the way, you can get from the book, we have all of our tools in the book, and you can download it from the createvalue.org site. Uh, So this, this tool is available to all of you. But when you look at how you rate yourself, if you rate yourself a one, you're pretty much saying that I don't exhibit this behavior. It's rare or underdeveloped. If you rate yourself a two, you have some awareness. You may use it irregularly. You may experiment with it. A three means that you're fairly frequent in your use of this behavior. Four is that you consistently use it and five is sort of like you unconsciously, permanently, uniformly, maturely use it. So that's how we actually go about rating it. So when we start with that first dimension of willingness, you say willingness to do what? It's willingness to change, willingness to learn we all know that as we um, move organizations through improvement transformations, the willingness of the leaders is incredibly important. So we ask each uh, person to rate themselves on that one to five scale. How willing are you to change? Are you a continuous learner? Do you want to continue to learn? And most people will rate themselves a three or a four that they're looking at new programs because they want to change. They want to make improvements, but then we ask you know the reinforcing behavior we observe for people is how do you use reflection in your um, as one of your tools in your arsenal? Do you reflect on uh, your work and your impact of your work on your employees, your peers, your board, your community? And if you do, how do you do that? Carl taught me that doing it in the shower or driving home does not count we actually need to see, do you have time in your calendar with reflection that is um, substantial, consistent, and reproducible? And do you have questions to reflect upon? So John and I often tell people that there's two questions to start with. One is, what did I do to unleash the creativity of my people today? And what did I do that got in their way? And so, you know, Reflection becomes a key element in any transformation. Most of our learning occurs when we're willing to look at ourselves and reflect on how we make a difference in our organization. The next element is humility. And, you know, if you rate yourself a five on humility, I tell people, then you're not. But um, humility is more than just having humility as your lifestyle, it's more about how do you demonstrate it? How do you go to the gamma? How do you talk to your people? How do you ask questions? Do you tell them the answer? Do you interrupt them? What does it look like when you're present with your people? So the reinforcing behavior for humility is go and see, listen and learn. So when you go and see, what do you do when you go and see? What kind of questions do you ask? Are you asking open-ended questions that let people celebrate their great work? Do you ask them to teach you? Are you open to learning? When they're talking, are you listening to them or are you talking over them? Can you reiterate something that you learned each time you go to the GEMBA? Those behaviors really resonate with your teams. Um, I have to make a little segue here and say, when you start doing this, you need to tell people that you're practicing a new behavior because it also scares them if they don't understand that you're reflecting on your behavior. This has nothing to do with them. It has to do with your learning. So do you go and see, do you go and talk to your people with humility? The next dimension is curiosity. Curiosity are you really curious about what people do? Are you curious about how what they do affects your organization? How do you know what they're thinking? How do you demonstrate to them that you care about what they're thinking? Are you open to changing and are you curious about other ways of doing things that you have currently done in one method in the past? And the way you demonstrate that curiosity is by again, going to the gamba, asking good questions, asking questions that are open-ended that don't have a yes or a no. And my other two rules about asking questions is they should not be about who or why to start with. They really need to be about what and how Asking questions that let people teach you demonstrates your curiosity and it reinforces that humility and willingness to change with your team. So being present and asking good questions is important. Then when you're asking those questions, are you an effective listener or are you just waiting to speak? When you're listening, can you reflect back to them what they're saying? Are you asking the right questions and hearing their answers and really paying attention and then are you doing that with an A3 thinking method in your mind? Do you really want to understand the background of the situation? Are you curious about the current situation and how we got there? Are you curious about what management may have done to put us in the current state and what management can do to help us get to out of the current state and onto the next future state? Do you analyze what they're thinking? Are you using A3 thinking, not an A3 template, but A3 thinking in your conversations as you are curious about what your teams are learning, doing and improving? And then are you celebrating with them um, with how you ask questions and that effect of listening? Do you reinforce their, their behavior with, with your curiosity? The next element is perseverance. And as all of us in management know, Perseverance is really something that is important to just surviving and getting by. When you're in a continuous improvement methodology, you know that there is going to be failure and you need to celebrate that failure and persevere through it. And to do that, um, the two reinforcing behaviors that become really key and really important is Do you have a buddy or a partner in your organization that you share your thinking with that can reflect to you what they're seeing as well as what you're seeing, that you can have those deep, curious conversations and that they can, in fact, help you with your reflection and say, you know, when you showed up at Gemba today, it was really great that you were there, but do you know when you told them what to do that probably shut down their learning? Do you have a buddy or a partner that you can be vulnerable with that you can share your thinking with, and that has enough trust that they can tell you and reflect back to you what they're actually seeing. The second reinforcing behavior of that perseverance is having a coach. A coach is someone that's in a much more formal relationship with you, that understands those things in your personal A3 that you're working on, and that can help you um, and push at how you continue moving forward. So a coach and a Body or partner are essential elements in sustaining the perseverance to get the breakthrough that you're looking for in your improvement processes. And then the last um, element, um, trait or, 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 or discipline is self-discipline. And everybody I talk to rates themselves low here. Um, it seems that self-discipline is something that we all want to have, and we all recognize that we don't always follow our own processes. So the self-discipline is reinforced by the use of leader standard work. Most of us have some leader standard work, whether we've got it written down or not. But by writing it down and adding to it as you learn, you become more disciplined in your approach, saying, I'm going to reflect twice a week for 15 minutes, and I'm going to use a journal. And putting that in your standard work makes it real. And then putting it from your standard work into your calendar makes it real. Recognizing that I'm going to demonstrate humility by going to the Gemba becomes part of your standard work. And you say, I'm going to go to Gemba on these two days a week, and this is what I'm going to look for. And I'm going to go to Gemba with purpose. I'm going to either go to celebrate or to understand a process. So standard work becomes kind of the glue that holds a lot of this all together. So at this point, I think it's uh, important to, to look at Here's an example of how someone rated themselves on their standard work. And John's going to talk about the person that actually did this rating and how you take this tool, use it in your current state, and move on with your personal A3 development plan.
2: Thanks, Kim uh, and Mark. So the radar chart's really important (laughs) from the standpoint of self-reflection. And again, reinforcing this concept that that is self-reflection. This is, you know, we are our own best and worst critics. And so a process to be able to reflect on how we're doing and then help to take us to uh, where we want to be is is uh, is really powerful. And, And we've we've found this to be true now with many, many, many CEOs and senior executives throughout the world. So, what is the overall then way that we can sort of hold ourselves accountable or responsible for for making some changes? And that's where this personal improvement a three uh, comes to bear. And uh, <clears throat> I'm gonna walk through this uh, conceptually with you. Basically, it's a three thinking, only it's applied to you as uh, uh, personally. and there there are different questions uh, on this a three format. Uh, you know, for example, we're not talking about a problem. We're talking about an opportunity. So what is the opportunity that you want to focus on as you begin to uh, make some changes that you think will uh, provide uh, better leadership for your teams? So let's, let's delve into this uh, personal improvement A3 process. First of all, this is a dynamic document. Uh, it's focused on behavior at the individual personal level. And what we many times see is that leaders that that start using this process actually keep putting in organizational issues. This is about you as an individual. It's not about your organization. It's going to require that you constantly come back to it, you know, every few weeks or months, multiple iterations, just like any good A3 only Now we're looking at it from the standpoint of our own leadership activities and behaviors. And then as you learn new things about yourself, right, we update the A3 just like you would in a problem solving or a strategy A3. You begin to update the personal A3 with new information, new information about your own self-reflection, new information about feedback from a buddy or a coach, those sorts of things. So let's look at this uh, in a little bit more detail so why should I improve myself in order to be a coach, a leader uh, who creates an organization full of problem solvers? So that's the background. You know, why would you want to make any changes in what you do uh, as a leader? What are the habits that I have now in the current state? This is where the radar chart actually fits is right into the current state, right? So here are some habits. Here are some things that may be pulled in on that radar chart. And here's some things I want to do differently. Then what's the opportunity? In other words, you know, if I'm looking out six months or a year from now, what are the things that I want to see uh, different in myself? <clears throat> and then what's the goal? What's our target? What am I trying to achieve here as a leader? Why do I, you know, act the way I do in the analysis phase? So, you know, what's your belief system? What What's the reasons for some of the things that, that you do now? And then what are the experiments and the follow-up and the plan and the follow-up that we're going to use to 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 decide if we're actually improving in our leadership skills. So that's the template. Um, And what I want to do is go through a specific example. You can't read the details here. I'm going to go through each box with you. This is a a specific example with a very, very uh, good uh, executive that that I had the privilege of of coaching for a while. His name is Al Pelong. He's now the CEO of Novant Health. Uh, When we worked with him, he was at uh, in Michigan and he allows me to show his personal A3 to a lot of different people. So I'm going to walk this, walk through this with, with you. Um, First of all, we want to date this thing, right? Just like any other A3, a problem solving A3, we date it, we title it, we put the draft number on there. And so the title is important because this is, like any A3, the title tells you what the purpose is. Um, so in this case, uh, the, the chief operating officer who we're studying today, his, his title was my personal leadership development journey. And his version was version three. So he really just started this whole process uh, when, when, I, um, when I documented his, his work. So let's look at the background. Why should I improve myself to be a coach leader who creates an organization filled with problem solvers? Why this and why now? So personal change is critical to changing behavior. Organizations don't change until leaders do. Uh, the personal A3 is, is the self-reflection mechanism for that to happen. And then you know what is the burning platform that we're trying to establish as we look at the background uh, here of the organization? So in uh, Mr. P. Long's case, it was because the challenges facing our organization and our industry, and this is certainly true today during COVID, demand transformation, which requires complete alignment up and down the organization. So my chief role is to be an effective coach for my team so they can coach and develop problem solvers. The only way to sustain change is to engage everyone in the process. So even back when we did this, there was so much change going on that it was clear that there's no way that this one person could make all the decisions. So it became very clear that unless he, he could develop a system of coaching that would allow folks to identify and solve problems on their own, that it was not going to be sustainable over time. And in the current state, um, you know, so what are the personal habits and actions? When you do this work, uh, the radar chart is a great way to, 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 to identify some things, but also what, what's going well, right? This isn't just about things that you want to improve. This is what's going well. Many of us have completed Finder or another type of organizational development process where, where we learn, you know, what we're good at. Well, we also want to put that in this document because what we're good at is probably what we're going to keep being good at. And if we can improve on something we're already good at, that's uh, another way to look at this. So these are habits that you want to change, but they're also habits that you want to make even more powerful for you as a leader. So, you know, uh, to, to, to summarize. Uh, to summarize Al's position on current state, it was, I, I'd rather, I tend to do things rather than coach, coach other others to do, you know, frankly, it's, as we all know, uh, it's, it's sometimes easier just to do it ourselves. Right. But if we're trying to unleash the creativity of everyone and get people to um, really help us understand and solve problems we're going to have to act differently. And that's that's exactly what he's saying here. So his opportunity statement, not the problem statement, remember, opportunity statement, my comfort with doing the improvement myself versus aligning, enabling others to do the improvement is resulting in little organizational change. Sound familiar? Certainly most of us have been there. And in this case, it was driving him nuts. So he was personally frustrated, burned out. Everybody was coming with all the problems to his, to his office. It's like time out. I can't do all this. So unless I change this environment is not going to get any better. So what, what does good look like uh, for Al then? So I need more focus on developing and coaching others in the transformation journey. So that, um, Process of becoming a coach was really sort of the target condition in, the, in, the, in this case. That personal process of becoming a coach, and this is the interesting part. So, so why do why do these behaviors exist? Right um, now, Mr. Pelong was a pharmacist, so I'm a physician. You know, we come from different backgrounds, but but in many cases, when we come from the scientific side of of, of our, where we actually are are trained to be the problem solvers when we get into management positions it becomes much more difficult because now our job is is not to solve the problems it's to create the systems and the behaviors that allow uh, uh the, the people on the ground to solve the problems and in this case the analysis was well it's just easier to do it myself um i like the positive personal feedback right i mean uh, we as clinicians got into this work because we wanted to help people, and then part of that helping people is to, you know, um, make make decisions, make diagnoses, and then, you know, get a pat on the back. Then also, as we've looked at the analysis of of of, of these these personal behaviors on his part. There was no standard. There was no discipline of uh, approach to coaching. In fact, coaching wasn't even part of the executive mindset. Um, and because of that, the leaders were not having the difficult conversations around what are we trying to build in our organization from a, um, a development standpoint, people development standpoint. So the analysis section of the A3 is very important because it really gets at sort of those core beliefs or, or, or things that have been instilled in us that are maybe getting in the way of some of the things that we need to do differently. So the experiments that we're going to run, right? What experiments will I try to become a better coach and leader of problem solvers? So this was his decision, develop and implement a standard template. You heard from Kim about standard work, right? A lot of the issues that we have as leaders can be, um, uh, walked back to the fact that we don't have uh, standard work for what we're doing. So what he did was he created a standard template for meetings, which was focused on, you know, not the problem of the day, but actually a coaching process for uh, his subordinates. So he was going to use his one-on-ones with his subordinates as coaching opportunities He was going to get to the Gemba with each of these leaders. And he had, I don't know, 20 or 25 direct reports. So that's why he couldn't do it more than quarterly. And they were spread out a large geography. But the point was, I've got to get to the Gemba, which is another opportunity for me to coach the folks that report to me. And then finally, I'm going to create a reflection process. Kim talked about a journal, some way in which we're capturing, you know, how we're doing every week, you know what, what did I do that really worked and what did I do that didn't work in terms of, you know, unleashing the creativity of my team. Then we created a plan, right? So what steps were we going to take? Well, in Al's case, it was develop the template, right? So we did that, implement these discussions one-on-one with a focus on coaching, schedule a reflection time. And that's important. It's not in the shower. Like Kim said, it's not in the car. It's, reflection time on your calendar that's purposeful and then he worked with his assistants to uh, to set up the Gemba follow-up important part of the A3 right so how do I know I'm improving well in this case he thought I could get feedback from reports now I'll tell you what my experience about getting feedback from my direct reports was pretty miserable Um, they didn't Really feel comfortable giving me direct feedback, so you can try, and maybe if you build a trusting relationship with them, they'll do that. But it's pretty tough, you know. the the, uh, the 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 power distance makes that difficult. How will I know I'm off plan? Okay, again, our best and worst critics is ourselves. So if we have a good reflection process, we're going to be able to step back and think about what 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 went well and what could be even better if. And then how how will I make time to practice? In Al's case, it was put it on the schedule. becomes part of my standard work. Uh, What's the process for ongoing reflection? He said that was journaling. And then who else will I involve? So he did involve his boss and he involved me. I was coaching him at that time. And and we set up a process where he could get some of the uh, feedback that he was after. So as you can tell, this is really a very... um, a very personal process, and that's the important part to remember here. This is not about the organization. This is about you. And as you work with the radar chart, which you can download from the link that you'll get in our new book, and also you you can download this personal A3 template uh, as well. Uh, you you really need to think about this as how how I'm going to use this to improve um, my leadership actions and behaviors. So with that, I'm going to um, uh,
0: turn it back over to uh, Mark for Q and A. Thank you, John. Thank you, Kim. And uh, we're going to have a generous Q and A session here. So we never get feedback that says Q and A was too long. People usually want more. So I encourage people, please do continue submitting questions and we'll take um, full advantage of that. But um, before we do so, a couple quick announcements. I want to tell you about upcoming webinars as we continue the Kynexus series. If you can advance that, please. And all of that contact info are in the slides that you'll be able to get. So, um, for Kinexus customers only, our monthly. Training Team Office Hours with Adam and Matt is coming up again on August 27th. But then uh, our next presentation webinar, um, which is open uh, to everybody, it's going to be presented September 15th, 1 o'clock um, usual time. It's going to be titled Leading with Respect, Standard Work for Frontline Leaders. It's going to be presented by uh, Didier Rubino um, from Value capture. Um, he's uh, worked in healthcare for quite a while now and has a background in industry. Um, and he's going to be co-presenting with a client, Jennifer Ashley from the Sutter Valley Medical Foundation. And so I think, as we saw in today's webinar, um, even though they're uh, working in healthcare, there are general lessons we think um, everybody doing this type of work um, can learn from. So you can register for those at kinexus.com/webinars. We want to also invite you, if you can advance it, please, um, to check out the webinar on-demand library. Today's webinar um, will end up there as well. So if you go to kinexus.com slash webinars and and click on the right-hand side where it says on-demand library, you can go there. We also invite you to check out our blog at blog.kinexus.com. And then uh, final announcement is to um, let you know about our podcast series. Um, you can go to com slash podcast, or you can find us, just search Kynexus on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. The audio of today's session uh, will go into the podcast feed. Um, as always, if you're a subscriber, you may have heard the preview podcast that we did with Kim and John um, a couple of days ago. So we encourage you to uh, subscribe and please rate and review uh, the podcasts. And so with that, um, we... We'll do the Q and A, and we'll put up um, contact info here um, and reminder about the upcoming book, "Becoming the Change." So, um, first question: um, You talk about individual personal transformation, and you talk about changing yourself first. Have you seen organizations where the first thing that they do with Lean is that executive personal A three before they teach A three problem solving to the rest of the organization, and if you haven't seen that, what would you expect if that was an organization's approach?
2: Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. I, what when we engage with uh, a senior leadership team, actually, the first thing we do is the personal A three. That's how we actually introduce A three, and I think what's interesting is that when you do it personally. It helps to embed that thinking process for as you begin to expand to, to use A three thinking in everything you do. So we've been very uh, uh, we've been very encouraged actually uh, when we have begun using the personal A three process to actually introduce A three thinking, and it it seems to be a, a very effective way. For people, not only to begin to understand what they need to change, but also what they want to change, but then also, you know, how do we use this thinking process for everything?
1: I agree. I think it's um, it's been very powerful to use that with the team for two reasons. One, they're experimenting with a tool, the A3, and they're also telling the organization that they're. Behavior change is as important as everyone else's. So, when we start with that or in tandem have A3 thinking being taught throughout the organization, it complements each other very nicely.
0: So there's, um, I think, kind of a related follow up question. Um, what you're describing here with um, the personal A3 and reflection is a great example of leaders leading by example a lot of organizations are still in a point where uh, leaders delegate lean or try to delegate transformation. Um, so what, what are your thoughts and, and, you know, uh, John and Kim, either if, what would you share from your own experiences being senior leaders at a health system and a hospital level? What, what do you see um, in other organizations? How, how can we move more in that direction of leading by example?
1: I think we wrote this book because we've seen lots of examples where people have delegated lean and that they've made initial progress. They've made some some fabulous initial proge- progress using projects and value stream mapping and using the tools. But once they turn their head away from that and move on to the next project, the sustainment doesn't remain. And so we recognize that it, the culture changes more than using lean tools. And lean thinking, it's supporting it with the appropriate behavior.
2: It, it, it's it's definitely about behaviors, and I think that you have to. I think the question is how how do you engage leaders that aren't engaged, and that you know that that's a very difficult question. But what I always tell folks is that you have a certain span of control. Uh, in the in your in your organization within that span of control you can model the way and as you model the way and you unleash the creativity and the excitement and the energy of the people that work in the areas you're responsible for you're going to see great results and maybe that's going to get noticed by some leaders maybe they'll be in you know in they'll be interest because somehow you are getting better results than everyone else So I think this this works at all levels and depending on where you are in an organization, you still can model the way and and get great results.
0: Um, I've got another question. This is a question from Rachel. Have you ever had a leader share their personal A3 with their team in a public forum?
2: You know, that's a great question. And Susan Ehrlich at San Francisco General Hospital when when we first introduced this to her several years ago, she actually decided to to post her um, her radar chart and personal A three on on the um, on her door to her office, and you know what followed after that was that every other leader there did the same thing, right? Again, she was modeling the way. So I think it's perfectly appropriate to share where you're at with you know both your self-reflection and, and the things you're working on. This is a learning journey for all of us. And there's no right or wrong. There's no, you know, I'm better than you. There, there are always things that we can learn and improve on. And I think the more we can be transparent about what we're working on, like Kim said in her, in her talk, it's like, we, we, if we explain that up front to people, That you know we're we're really trying to do something new and different that hopefully is going to be, uh, you know, lead to better uh, results. Then um, what's wrong with you know with that transparency? I mean, I I think we've seen that be a a very positive uh, thing.
1: And I think we've seen it more than with Susan. Susan's was one of the first, but when we go to South Africa. Um, Mr. Dubay posted his along with um, his radar chart, and he thought it was part of his accountability, not just transparency. He wanted people to know what he was working on. Uh, He asked all of his direct reports. He took these materials and he taught it to them and they put theirs on their board. And then they taught it to their directors. And so when you go and visit that hospital, you see these radar charts and these personal A3s all over the place. Um, and, and it, and many also use it to start building that leader standard work. And so you'll also start to see them posting standard work. It's kind of, um, it's kind of an interesting phenomenon when people really understand it and start talking about it and sharing it with each other and become vulnerable and open to the rest of their team. Their learning just is exponential.
2: I, and we've seen this in other industries. I mean, I visited some Danaher companies, for example, that have done something similar to this, not, not necessarily with the templates that we've shown you today, but the point is being transparent about what the top leaders are are working on from a, from a personal improvement perspective.
0: And it's um, apropos, you mentioned uh, Mr. Dubé, because we had a question that came in uh, from Emmanuel, who's in Sierra Leone. And um, he said this program seems it would be very important for African leaders. Um, he's interested in the application of this, um, how it would extend in Africa. So you've already touched on that, but uh, maybe we can expand the question. Um, and, and if you have other thoughts about um, coaching leaders in uh, countries outside of the U.S.
2: But, you know, it's, it's interesting. Kim and I have had um, about two and a half years of experience now coaching African leaders in public hospitals, and in, 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 in South Africa, in particular, and Johannesburg and in Cape Town. And what we found is that there are many really committed leaders in, in that country. And they have very few resources. And because they have very few resources, they have to rely on their own ingenuity to actually get things to work. And so taking these concepts in the personal A3 and radar chart uh, into the Lartong Hospital uh, in Johannesburg and into the Charlotte Machexi um, Hospital in uh, Johannesburg, uh, those two leaders, Gladys Bogashi and, and Mr. Dubé, were able to really change the culture of their hospitals. And it didn't require big, fancy consultants coming in every week. They simply, we, we were on the phone with them once a month walking through this in a virtual coaching way and they took it and ran with it. And it's one of the more impressive things I've seen. And I think it's very applicable. One of the reasons we ran this experiment is that you know we're a not-for-profit education institute. We're trying to really transform the healthcare industry around the world. And we really wanted to focus in on a, on a country that had, you know, few resources to see, you know, do these ideas actually work in that kind of setting? And what we found, uh, you know, at the Laraton Hospital, there was a 42% reduction in neonatal intensive care unit deaths. They went from 13 uh, mothers dying a year to zero. Uh, Same kinds of results uh, at the Charlotte Hospital, where they would go from 13% infection rates in the orthopedic unit to 004 you know, using staff ideas, simple things, you know, but, but allowing the staff to create systems that allow uh, for better patient results. And it's all, you know, uh, traced back to how the, those leaders um, behaved in the action. So this is absolutely applicable to, uh, you know, developing economy nations. And I would highly recommend that, you know, you use it in Sierra Leone or, or wherever.
0: And um, you mentioned Gladys Bogeshi and uh, Gray Dubay. Thanks to your connections and introductions, I was able to do podcast interviews uh, with each of them in 2019. So I've put links uh, in the chat if anyone wants to hear more directly uh, from them. So let's see. Um, Lots of good questions here is question. Uh, from Gallen, Um, what are some options for increasing the feedback we get if your reports are hesitant to give feedback? Can you you talk more about that? How to create that environment where um, it, it feels safe to do so?
1: I think that's a scary thing I'll let John respond more detailed, but in terms of getting a response from your direct reports, to get to a point where there's a trusting relationship with them requires a lot, you to exhibit a lot of the behaviors we just talked about. When they're fearful of reprisal or that they're going to get a, a negative reaction or response on their performance review, they're not going to be likely to share their true thinking with you. They're going to tell you all the great things and they're going to avoid any of the opportunities. So I think it's being upfront about why you're asking the questions, what it is you're trying to learn, ask them for one thing that they think that you might be able to work on rather than tell me everything I could do better. Um, And then, you know, being sure that you reinforce positively those comments. But my, 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 my true response is, is that you won't get a whole lot out of that. You get more from the peer or the buddy that can observe you in the Gemba, um, having the conversations, um, understanding what it is you're trying to work on, giving you that real feedback. So that, for me, has always proven to be a stronger link.
2: Yeah. You know, I think that if you do do something positive, people will recognize that what I, what i've seen is what i've observed is when the leader is really changing people say something to them about it they say you know I, I i noticed that you're you're not talking over me you know or i've noticed so i do think that that you can get positive feedback from your subordinates and that's good feedback, right? Because if they're noticing some change in your actions and behavior and that is actually impacting them in a positive way, then you should be getting some of the, that positive reaction. If what you're doing is not, uh, is not impacting them in a positive way, then you probably aren't going to get anything because they're not going to they're they're tell you the bad stuff but they will tell you the good stuff. And so I've, I've looked at the uh, the feedback piece as, you know, if I'm making some progress, I probably should get some positive comments. And if I'm not, then i got to step back and, and ask why.
1: The one person I think of that really addressed this was Eric Dixon. Uh, he's the CEO at UMass, and he talked a lot about he's a trauma um physician in that in a in a situation he can get into a trauma mindset where he tells people he moves into command and control and he recognized that through reflection and he asked his leadership team to call him on it and that he would always say thank you and he he tells some really wonderful stories that I I I can't repeat because I don't really know all the details but about how being in a meeting and he gets upset and he moves into that mode and he looks at the people that he's asked to help him, and they have codes of, you know, you need, to, you need to calm down, we need to look at this in a different way. And he always stops and thanks them personally for taking the risk of sharing that. And so he made that promise up front, and he lives by it. So he's the one example where I know that it actually was helpful, and he had a process around it.
0: Anyway, I just want to give a, a quick glimpse into Kinexus. I mean, I think we're blessed to have humble leaders, our senior leadership team, our co-founders, uh, Greg and Matt, and, you know, Greg's an ER doc, and um, he um, doesn't get into that, uh, you know, that trauma mode. But, um, you know, Greg and Matt and Jeff, um, our head of sales, they go through once a year a reverse evaluation process where they invite the company Um, to give feedback. And uh, that's evolving because that's always been done through kind of, um, you know, send your comments to somebody who blinds them and makes them anonymous. And um, there's mostly positive feedback that comes through. But I think the next evolution of it, um, they were talking about, well, should we not make that anonymous? How can we create an environment where people feel safe to give us feedback along the way? And I know that happens, but I think inviting more of that, um, you know, I I, I think that reflects well um, on them as leaders. So um, let's see. So uh, Didier, our presenter, one of our presenters for September 15th, um, asked about the coaching sessions. What's the typical frequency and duration of those coaching sessions?
2: It's uh, once a month. And, uh, you know, today... (laughs) Didier, just like you, <laughs> it's all virtual. So, um, but yeah, the, the coaching sessions we do with executive teams and the ones we've done in the UK and in, in Africa, we're all once a month. And what, what we do is we start each session with a review of the personal A3 learning. So, you know, there's other content, obviously, that we're coaching to, but but we always go back to the personal A3 first. What have you learned? What experiments have you tried? Uh, and, and how has that impacted your thinking? And we found that to be very, you know, we, we don't spend a lot of time on it, but, you know, they, all the executives realize that for five to 10 minutes, we're going to spend time on them personally before we go on to any sort of content, um, knowledge delivery. So once a month, this seemed to be pretty, pretty appropriate timing.
1: And within that coaching session, uh, we have our own standard work and our own um, guidance. And so there each month there is a aspect that we want them to go and practice. Um, so um, they need to go to the GEMBA. There are things that we want them to be looking for and coming back and talking about. So even when it's not their personal A3, it is about their personal behavior.
0: Okay. Um, let's see this. There's some, two related questions. Let me try to combine them. So uh, Roberto asked and Danilo asked something similar. Can you elaborate more on how to measure effective improvements on uh, a personal A3? Um, you mentioned peers. Uh, well, so, well, I'm not quite sure, but so let's just leave it at um, how would you measure effectively? Is that the radar chart or is there, is there more to it that, that can be measured to show progress?
2: Well, what you have have to realize with the personal change processes is this is not um, this is a it, it's not a, a, a scientific um, measurement, right? This is observational measurement. So that's how we know whether things are changing as we are observing people and observing behaviors. I can't say you know is that a four point three or a two point seven or an eight point two? What I can say is that i I observed you at the gimba when we started uh asking questions that included you know who and why and not listening to people and now, as we've uncovered this when I go to the gimba with you i can I can observe you to uh to be, be asking how and, and, and what questions. And I can actually see you carefully trying to work through what people are saying, whether it's, you know, whether it's saying it back to them or asking more, uh, you know, humble inquiry questions. So that's why on the, on the radar chart, we talk about the, the observable behaviors. Those things in purple are observable. And over time, the question is are those observable behaviors changing or not Now the 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 reason that we actually have you do a rating of yourself is 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 so that you have an you 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 understand where the gap is in terms of what you're doing right now So if you have no leader standard work if you have nothing in your calendar that's standard you're going to rate yourself low what that does is it helps you to say That's maybe where I should start to focus because I don't have any of that. So it's it's a combination of these observable behaviors, which is why it's so important to have someone that you trust that can actually, you know, give you some feedback on those observable behaviors, whether it's that coach, that trusted person internally or externally who can observe you from time to time or somebody else, right? Um, but, but that's, you know, what we're talking about with the personal change work is really around observable activities and actions that you do, not necessarily quantitatable uh, activities.
0: Okay. Um, we have another question uh, from Alan. It's asking about the book, Becoming the Change. Um, can you briefly tell us about what other leadership behavior strategies are included in the book?
2: So we have uh, a whole section on sort of defining purpose and the process behind how you do that uh, with very detailed examples. So we we delve into the X matrix and uh, strategy deployment activities and what are the specific behaviors from a senior executive level that are required. We talk about not only the behaviors, but the content that's that the content knowledge that's going to be uh, needed. We also have divided it into different what we, you know, swim lanes. So like, what are the key behaviors for the PI team, right? And the PI leaders, what what are those behaviors that a really great high functioning PI team needs to uh, need to be exhibiting the senior leaders? We look at that swim lane. We look at the, the board, you know, how does, what, what are the behaviors of the board? You know, I mean, a lot of our boards could care less about what we're doing. Well, guess what? That's not the right answer. We need to be, you know, we need to have very specific behaviors associated uh, with, with board members and what their roles and responsibilities and actions are. So we've tried to divide this into, you know, support functions, you know, what, what, how do they act differently? What are the things that they need to do differently uh, or, or do to, to support the, the, the work and, and, and the frontline workers themselves? You know, what, what are those core things? So, so we've tried to divide it into the, 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 you know, kind of the organizational swim lanes and what is different about each one of those swim lanes from a behavior and action standpoint for, that's required to really build a great uh, organizational excellence culture.
0: Anything else that you would add, kind of a, a highlight from the book?
1: I think as I was looking at that um, and thinking about it this weekend, because I actually got my first copy of the book in my hand, so of course I had to read it in a hard copy. Um, and what I think is important is how you look at hiring people also changes, and how you think about training them, and what the processes are. What are your systems for that? Um, Especially, you know, I was thinking about the work that was done at um, St. Charles and at at St. Mary's and Kitchener in terms of how they now select their board members and how they understand the board uh, tenure is usually uh, has an average of nine to 10 years where a CEO is usually in their position five years so the board is really going to be involved in hiring your successor, how do you make sure that you maintain the gains that you've made um, without understanding how that happened. And so the board relationships are so significantly different um, as we look at sustaining long-term improvement.
0: So another question here, um, I think my leadership would greatly benefit from these type of exercises. Do you have any recommendations about how to coach up? How do we get interest in this idea of reflection and self-assessment? Well, the first step is to hand them a copy of the book, I
2: think. <laughs> That's why we wrote it. The uh the the you know, I think attending some of these webinars and podcasts and, and, and those sorts of things. You know, frankly, the most powerful thing I've seen that changes people's minds at uh, CEOs and leaders is to go see. Unfortunately, right now we can't go see. You know, we, we usually have a bunch of of um, site visits that we that we uh, sponsor to various organizations like the Cleveland Clinic or UMass or San Francisco General, but we can't do that in, in, in this time, so so we have to figure out different ways to engage the leaders that, that aren't necessarily there yet. Certainly, you know, Kim and I are very willing to get on the phone and talk to people. We do, did an experiment this week of doing a virtual gimba uh you know maybe we can do some more of that uh type of type of thing but um i think that you know the the stimulation of the interest is 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 to start reading and you know there's a number of articles on our website at createvalue.org that can help with that uh, i just published an article a couple months ago in the new england journal that explains the differences between the shingle model the baldridge criteria you know how what what is lean those are the kinds of articles that I think, you know, people can sit down and read in 20 minutes or 15 minutes and maybe get a better understanding.
0: I mean, just final thing as we wrap up here, um, the Catalysis Healthcare Value Network, Kim, maybe you can talk about this, is experimenting with a virtual Gemba visit for the members of that network. There, there's a good good example of adaptation.
1: It's, it's interesting because we, we formed – well, actually, John formed the network, and that was the, the fundamental basis of Catalysis when we were, uh, at that time, called the Theta Care Center for Healthcare Improvement. And the network um, began as a peer-to-peer learning opportunity, and that peer-to-peer learning meant they were going to Gemba at each other's sites. And so we had 21 Gembas a year scheduled for just network members, in addition to those where we'd invite um, CEOs and others. So – it's a huge loss for that network um, to not be able to go and visit with each other um, and learn how to coach and how to ask questions and how to see what others are doing and steal shamelessly and bring back ideas. So um, we've been working on what does a virtual Gemba need to include? And so our first experiment is this week with Torrance. Um, We've run a couple of experiments in Europe, um, in Finland. Um, And one of the things we're learning is the preparation for that Gamba needs to be much different That people need to understand what their role is virtually And so um, those experiments are rapid cycle improvements And we're going to be doing the first big one this week I think we have over 100 people coming to Gamba um, Which is huge So um, Very cool We'll keep you informed
0: Yeah well, good. Experiments around the network is one of the themes at the annual summit. So here's a new experiment with the network, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, we're at the uh, the top of the hour. Or actually, we are a little bit past, so uh, we will wrap up. But I want to thank all of our attendees. I want to thank everybody for a lot of people, vast majority of people staying on for uh, the Q&A. So thank you for that. And John and Kim, thank you both for the presentation and for um, sharing so much here during the Q and a, it seemed like that added value to people. They, uh, they stayed on. So, um, so again, um, uh, John Toussaint and Kim Barnes from uh, Catalysis, I really do suggest um, you go check out their website, createvalue.org. And whether you work in healthcare or other industries, um, there's a lot to be learned from their upcoming book, Becoming the Change Leadership Behavior Strategies for Continuous Improvement in healthcare, but I think there'll be a good audience um, outside of healthcare as well. So um, thank you everyone for attending. Uh, We'll see you on uh, September 15th uh, for our next webinar and um, everyone be well, thanks.